Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast, our very, very new show where we aim to combine our love of football and bang average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. The plan is to look at all sorts of topics such as playing styles, formations, player profiles and manager stats. But we're not here to blind you with the numbers. Ultimately, we are football fans ourselves and want to try and unpick these topics from the fans' point of view. I say we, first of all, I need to make clear who we is. My name is Ryan Bailey, and by day, I'm a television producer. And in contrast to what I just said, I know very little about football statistics, and I have less than zero data analysis skills. Basically, I'm a big old neutral football fan, and my dream is to be Pep Guardiola, which I'm not having much success at so far. Luckily, I am not alone, and joining me in presenting this podcast is my friend, Mark Carey, who can help break down the statistics we discuss to give us a little more insight. Mark works on the research and insight team at Youth Sport Trust and finished his PhD last year studying psychology. He is also the biggest Liverpool fan I know and a man with more tactical football knowledge than the Redknapp family put together. That sums you up, right, Mark? Yeah, oh, terrific, fantastic. Wild <laughs> player. Um, mate, you, you built me up pretty high there, Ryan. I need to uh, I need to pour some water on that fire. But My uh, co-host is actually Harry Redknapp. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that we're actually talking football tactics and stuff because I was listening to the Peter Crouch podcast the other day that had Harry Redknapp on and they asked him about like you know so as a manager Harry what was your sort of take on things and he sort of went ah simple being a football manager you don't really have to know your stuff do you simple stick stick it up it's there and someone science. scores a go- it's not rocket science is it you just stick it up there and someone scores you just got good players isn't it and I was like wow kind of undermines the podcast that we're about to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah should we look at the analytics uh, harry <laughs> so we've been chatting football as long as i can remember 10 years now isn't it we've been, uh, been quite a while 
I actually met Mark when he uh, we were not friends and he decided to um, he'd been told by one of the lads at school we're talking like year 11 year 12 sort of standard uh, playing field matches uh, he got told to snap me really two footed nasty tackle um, and I think I don't know I don't know what came over you really it was quite it was quite brutal well there's a few things I say to that Ryan the first is that I can't believe that 10 years on you still not got over that the second is that I was never asked to snap you. I was just told that you were a fairly decent player. And I thought, you've got to let them know that you're there early doors, haven't you? And the third is that, like I always say to you when we play on FIFA, mate, you've got to get on the weights, haven't you? <laughs> anyway, he sort of went in and I was sort of like, all right, mate, what was that all about? He was like, oh, sorry, mate. And then we became mates. That was that. literally it was where it started. So, I mean, you're obviously a lifelong Liverpool fan. 2000 was the first, uh, first match I went to. Coventry away, Highfield Road. But yeah, I mean, yeah, family being from Liverpool, it is literally like a religion. So it is interesting, actually, because to sort of sum up this podcast, you epitomise both sides of it. You're essentially a mad fan. You know, Liverpool games on, sort of uh, rational analysis goes out the window, I imagine. But also you started a blog looking at football analytics. Like, what made you start doing that? A whole host of reasons, really. Well, because of my background in looking at statistics, well, from my PhD, doing quite a lot of statistics, um, using those statistics to answer questions in psychology, that was essentially what my PhD was. And then through uh, a friend of mine was told that you can sort of do that sort of work within a footballing footballing context, really, um, and that more and more football clubs are actually using it. And it's got a bit of a good reception so far, not got too many followers. I do check the, the stats on a daily basis to see how many people have read it. And sometimes it, sometimes it goes above uh, one figure. Sometimes I reach <laughs> 10, Ryan. Yeah, so this I'm is, not... Uh, this is... This is making our new listeners thinking, who are these two clowns who are talking about football? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting, though, because like the, the sort of analytics community is sort of this underground network of people who just know so much and so in-depth about the game, really, don't they? And I, I guess once you start delving into that you know, world, it's probably like a bit of a minefield, isn't it? I mean, the analytics community is really good, specifically kind of on Twitter. I think that the challenge is for... The, some people are so so clever and they can do so many kind of statistical models and really really good stuff so you have kind of those at one extreme but they might not know as much about the game and then you've got the people obviously at the other extreme in football in general who might not know as much about data and statistics but have obviously got that kind of pure football knowledge and I think the the skill is to be sort of place yourself between those two so be really good at the the statistics and stuff but be able to say it in a way that's that's clear to someone who just wants to talk football, which in the case of a football club is 99% of the people. How would you say then sort of stats and analysis help us understand football more? So for me, for instance, who's your average Sunday league player, I'd say what I see, if you will, I look at things and I go, oh, that was a good pass or that was a hard challenge or, oh, okay, I don't think you made the right decision there in the, you know, probably less polite terms when you're actually playing. How do sort of stats and analysis actually sort of help us understand things more? Well, firstly, I think that there's definitely like a lot of value in someone just saying like, oh, that was a good pass, that wasn't a good pass. I think that the whole point of analytics is that it's not trying to override like people's intuition already. Like the football purists who say that you don't need data and analytics in football. The analytics world and community isn't saying that this is something that we need to take over football. It's using it to support those people who just say that was a good pass. We could, you know, maybe give some sort of reason why it is a good pass and why that was the best pass. And it's trying to make, I guess, what some people would deem to be 
unpredictable a lot of the time. That's why we love football, because it can be so unpredictable. But within football clubs, they're trying to gain an edge on an opponent and trying to make yeah, the unpredictable as predictable as they can and as understandable as they can so that they can yeah win the next game. And football's obviously so fueled by money now that the difference between two positions can be worth millions of pounds. So the value of data and statistics within a football club can be really valuable. Absolutely. I'm always interested in how players take on tactical analysis and sort of instruction. Like when I played football, Sunday, Saturday league, etc. <laughs> you're sort of so involved in the game. If someone was telling me I was doing this too many times a game or if I was spending all my time in it, I just can't imagine sort of having that, taking that on board while playing. But people do, don't they? And I guess it benefits them. Johnny, when you were playing Sunday league, I guess you never thought, hang on, I'm going to analyse my game here. You sort of just play instinctively, don't you? And I guess obviously we're not professional footballers, but you know. Yeah, definitely. And I also think I, you, you always see it on the sidelines where you see the managers like, gesticulating and you're like what is he doing doing like different numbers going like hands everywhere and you're thinking they're not listening they're not listening and I've seen it before I've read it with like the right back is like I can't wait to the second half because then I'll be on the opposite side to the manager and whatever he's <laughs> shouting at me I just won't listen to him because he can't I can't hear him and I've got an what excuse was that now. all out attack yeah. oh great <laughs> yeah get a goal okay yeah go cheers, score goals <laughs> So for our starting point for the podcast, we're going to have a look at the background behind expected goals or XG as it's commonly known. Mark, why are we doing that? So expected goals has been around for a number of years now and many people will see it on match of the day towards the end of the game. And it's not going to be something that, that we're going to introduce to people for the first time here. But I think that it's one of the, the few models and analytics tools that has made its way into the mainstream media. And it's been met with a bit of backlash, a bit of doubt from some people. So what we're here to do, I guess, is just try and like look at what that misunderstanding might be or what why people might doubt it and try and just unpick it in, in a bit more detail. Expected goals is what essentially sparked the idea for this podcast because I was basically in a pub. Uh, this is a little while back and it was with one of my Monday night sort of five-a-side mates. We were having a buy pints in level discussion about the importance of like football analysis when passing judgment on a player versus uh, I guess the sort of old-fashioned notion of who wanted it more couldn't it a barn door sort of way of looking at things uh, I raised the subject of expected goals having read a BBC Sport article analyzing oh, it must have been uh, Danny Ings performance or something and the response I got straight away in more choice words than this was what on earth are expected goals what a load of rubbish as I say more uh Fruity words, if More you will. expletives than that. <laughs> um, it really made me laugh because I guess it's legitimate to most of us whose natural instinct is just to judge a striker, say, on how many they stick away without thinking of the sort of factors that apply. But our instant reaction or thought is to go, wow, he's rubbish. He couldn't, couldn't, guy oh, should have stuck that away, shouldn't he? Not really taking in the sort of um, variables. So I guess that kind of what forms expected goals, isn't it? Thinking about those things. Yeah, and I think, again, you've you got your football purists who might not want that sort of those sorts of statistics to to seep in but i think i certainly at first was a bit like i, I don't get why this is here but it's mainly because i might not have understood it sort of straight away but yeah it's i think i think it's really interesting and it's based on sort of solid solid math really but put in a simple way so put simply it is the probability of scoring a goal from the place that you are on the pitch when you're about to take the shot um, it's really nothing more than that. It's a measure of chance quality. What is your chance of scoring from that certain position? I.e. if I'm in the right back position, 
my chance of scoring is probably very low unless I hit an absolute boomer off my right foot that goes unexpectedly well. I mean, from the right back position, you've got, <laughs> you've got even, no qualify chance, for an expected goal. <laughs> I, I very much doubt it. I mean, people would be surprised how low the chance quality might be from certain areas of the pitch. So even from like, say, the, the corner of the 18-yard the box, you're talking like somewhere in the region of maybe 5%. So five times out of 100, you'd be likely to score from that chance. So I think people maybe overestimate, certainly some players overestimate their chance of scoring from certain areas on on the pitch. So I guess the long and short of it is the closer you are to goal, within reason, the closer you are to goal, the more chance of scoring, which makes complete sense. But then some players still will try and boom one from 40 yards and then someone else was in a better position to score and that that chance has gone. I um I saw an athletic article the other day that was like, will someone tell Granite Xhaka to stop shooting? And it basically outlined how he just shoots from ridiculously unlikely positions, if you will, which I guess is a low expected goal value. So you mentioned percentage. I, I'm guessing, as you just said, then it sort of is done on a how many out of 100 percentage ratio and it doesn't go sort of anything above 0.1, if you will. Yeah, so it'll always be between 0 and 1, Sorry, one. as a probability yeah, measure of scoring for each shot. So 0 would be no chance of scoring, and 1 would be a certain goal, which for XG is almost impossible to have. So the reason I was saying it percentages as well is that they're basically, they are the same thing. So a shot with an XG of 0.7 is the same as saying that they have a 70% chance of, of scoring or 70 times out of 100. They're all the same thing. So when you see an overall XG, expected goals for the whole game on match of the day, for instance, where it might say that Arsenal have an expected goals of 1.71 for the whole game, people will say, well, how can you you have a score of 1.71 goals? But that's all of the XG shots added up, each of which will be between 0 and 1. So they might have three shots. So one might have an XG of... 0.8 0.8 one might have a xg of 0.6 one with 0.31 so in total that's 1.71 for the whole game so that's where that's where that comes from a match of the day gotcha so in terms of the variables let's say obviously at the moment i'm imagining it as, as simply as empty sort of em- empty pitch and plonk me on the edge of the six yard box or the edge of the 18 yard box obviously my chances of scoring are better from the edge of the six-yard box. But so what does it take into account to make it more difficult? Say, is it like the speed of the pass played in, the accuracy of the pass, like uh, body position? Like what what sort of variables are we talking? Yeah, I mean, there's the thing as well to add is that there's so many different XG models. So there's more and more work that's being done. We're going to try and keep it as simple as possible, but there's so many different models out there which take into account different factors, like you just said. But the main ones will be distance from goal, angle of the shot so if you're yeah if you're far on the you know the left hand side trying to whip one across goal then your likelihood of scoring is going to be different than if it was right center of the goal um whether it was a, a through ball whether it was a cross whether it was with uh, your foot with your head um those sorts of factors are kind of the main ones that that are incorporated into into the model and then the more and more factors that you sort of have the more accurate you can you can actually judge whether it's going to be uh, yeah a goal or not. So do they take into account weaker foot as well? Is it is it if it falls on my right, 
in a slightly harder position than if it falls on my left. Does that mean it's the similar sort of expected goal chance? Yeah, they can incorporate that. Yeah, whether it's the depending on the player, obviously, if they're a left-footed player and it's on their right, then they're on their weaker foot. Um, companies that do this sort of thing, so Opta's Opta is the one that sort of was the pioneer in this. Um, also, have whether they deem it to be a, a big chance, so whether it's just sort of coded or registered as a big chance, so one-on-one -on -one with the keeper versus you've still got three defenders to beat that sort of thing yeah um so there's there's loads of factors like that but um yeah ultimately it's simply the likelihood that you're going to score a goal between zero and one um from the shot just before you're about to take the shot and we'll come on to why i'm saying just before you're about to take the shot because there's sort of limitations in the the xg model which we'll come on to. Well, Opta's actual, I've just Googled, Opta's expected goals definition is uh, expected goals measures the quality of a shot based on several variables, such as assist type, shot angle, and distance from goal, whether it was a header shot and whether it was defined as a big chance. So you've pretty much summed it up. So I think they're going to ring you up and offer you a job at some point. I mean, I was going to say, Ryan, like, wh what do you need me for if you're going to read it off the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought that was my job. I thought this that was what I was the, here um, for. This is the Football Fanalytics with help from Opta podcast. <laughs> yeah, Football Fanalytics minus Mark. If you want to just do it on your own, just say. Okay, so I've picked out a few examples of Premier League goals in the last few years. All of them are basically massive worldies. Uh, and we're going to look at them from an XG point of view. The first one we're going to have a look at is Emre Chan's overhead kick from the 1st of May 2017 against Watford which can only be described as the most ridiculous attempt at an overhead kick I've seen. Uh, there's obviously been some massive ones. Uh, you like this one, Mark? Yeah, this one, I feel like this one's not given enough credit. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely not. Like When you think overhead kicks, you think that ridiculous Bale one in the Champions League final, uh, 2018. Uh, you think Rooney the, versus Man City. Yeah, Rooney versus Man City, the Ronaldo one that was in the same Champions League one. Yeah. And they're all absolutely unbelievable goals. The thing that's different about the Emery Chan one to me is the way that the, the ball sort of, it's like behind him as he comes. It's so unnatural, it. isn't it? It is, isn't it? It doesn't, the other ones, they're sort of coming across the face of goal. So the natural sort of right angle, if I'm the striker, is to turn, you know, turn back. And then I know that behind me is the goal. Whereas when it's coming over his shoulder, Lieva like sort of, Lucas Lieva? Lucas Lieva. <laughs> Lucas Lieva. Uh, Lucas Lieva puts it over to his sort of right shoulder and he's on the turn, then when he actually strikes the ball, it sort of goes over his right shoulder. It doesn't even go in a straight line from where he is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, also, I, I looked at it before and it fi it finishes on the side netting. At the side like, netting? How does that even happen? It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, should we talk about the XG then, Ryan? Let's see. Uh, I've dug into the numbers, so I've got this ready. You don't know what the number is here, do you? So I'm no. going to ask you to, to guess um, what you think the the XG value was for that? With all the variables, so it's coming, over, coming from behind. He's a sort of good few feet off the floor, isn't he? I'm going to go at 17%. Uh, I'm going to guess 17%. 17%. So an XG yeah, value 17. of 0.17. 0.17, 17%. Final answer. Final answer. So that's actually, you're being quite optimistic there. So the XG value for that was 0 0.08. So 0 0.08. 8%. Yeah, so... Eight times out of 100, you'd expect him to, to score from that chance. So it's really low. Do you know what, though? And you actually think, as we sort of say about the angle of stuff, though, the sort of un it's unbelievable technique and the body position. I guess that's still quite generous, isn't it, really? That eight times out of 100, he'd be expected to score that. Yeah, facing away from goal as well. So, yeah. So, what, so what makes up eight. that 
what makes up that eight percent then what what sort of factors have made it eight percent it's in terms of all of the data that has gone into generating this model is that out of the many times that other people have been in that position out of the hundreds of thousands of shots that have been entered into this model eight percent of them have ended up being a goal from exactly the same position and taking those factors or similar factors to what this chance was into account so that's how it works it's an unbelievable goal and uh, you know as you said before it's very underrated almost if you want sort of amongst the other overhead kits we talk about true and can i just say as well ryan for the listeners that you you sort of created this short list of of all of these uh goals to kind of go over and it would have been its whole podcast if we'd have done every single one of them because you chose 12 <laughs> <laughs> you got so like, excited i started looking at the the best goals of the last 10 years and i watched like top top premier league goals part one out of about 10 and i already had about 12 examples to talk about anyway well that's so this was the short list of the yeah, short list that's up there on the top of them uh, so the next one we're going to look at is the andrus townsend volley from the 22nd of December uh, 2018, which uh, if listeners haven't seen this goal before, you need to Google that straight away. And again, it's sort of, it's one that's fallen to him outside the box, but this time it's come out. I thought Man City defended the corner quite well, to be honest. Like there's sort of two clearance headers uh, and it just happened to fall to Townsend. He must be 10 yard out of the 18 yard box, I'd say. And he's got no right to absolutely leather it the way he did. <laughs> he's one of those, though. I think he's quite a frustrating player for, for a manager. He does belt them a lot. And then one flies in and he goes and gets like all the adulation. But he is frustrating because he shoots from so far out all the time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, mate, I think the official term is foot like a traction engine. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For that one. Cheers, Alan. Uh, what's so nice about it though I mean he's absolutely leathered it hasn't he but it's also a really pure strike and the ball just arrows stays flat yeah it it? stays flat and it's so clean despite the obvious power he's put behind it when you watch the reverse angle as well in slow-mo the flight of the ball it's ridiculous is outrageous it's ridiculous and I know that again I didn't tell you how far out it was it was nearly 30 yards out 30 yards Um, out and I'm going to ask you again, Ryan, what is the XG? What do you predict the XG value is for that shot? I think this one would be higher than the Emre Chan example we had before because I think the angle that the ball's come in at is more inviting to shoot straight away. So I'm going to say 23%. That's crazy. So you would say that that is almost one in four, why almost one in four times they would expect to score from there. I'm being too kind, aren't I? That's that's quite high when you put it like that. Yeah. Oh, go on, tell me. 0.01. So 1%. One percent chance that he scored from there. So that is a one in a hundred quality is, chance that he's just taken. And is that because of the distance, would you say, as the main reason for that? I'd say, yeah, distance is a big one. The fact that it's coming as a volley as well. So it's coming from high. You're right, it was good clearance, but it came from high and he just belted it. And it's so unlikely, isn't it, when you think about it? Okay, well, that's two out of three that I've absolutely got wrong. Um. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was a 1% chance of him scoring that. Unbelievable. And, and also, just quickly, that I dug into the, the overall XG for that game. So Man City actually had a higher overall XG for the game, but they lost. 3-2, didn't they? Palace, Palace won 3-2 yeah. in that game, exactly. So that's another example of how expected goals can 
can tell you a story of dominance throughout the game, but sometimes you can't account for the fact that Townsend's just got a belter in him. So it's those sorts of things that, that are interesting to find out about the dominance of the game versus the, the actual goals. Absolutely. The third example is probably my favourite. It's so outrageously audacious that I just can't believe he attempted to do it. He's got absolutely no right. So it's Olivier Giroud on the 1st of January 2017 against Crystal Palace. And it's the one where they're essentially on a big old counter-attack. And the ball has come out to Sanchez on the left wing. And he's put a cross in and it's sort of come behind Giroud a little bit. Giroud's run beyond it. He's run beyond it, it, which almost says not the best timed run you've ever seen in your life or the ball needed to be in front of him. But he's instead of sort of turning round and trying a Emery Chan style bicycle kick, he's just gone and scorpion kicked it and it's flown <laughs> in off the bar near the top left hand corner. Uh, uh, when you watch it in slow motion, it's unbelievable because he's actually looking at the ball behind him as he's hitting it. So he's not looking where the goal is at all. And the position, the way he does it, and where it ends up in the back of the net, I can not quite get my head around. The slow mo on this one as well that angle from behind the goal where it just shows him yeah catching it and the keeper just being like what's he done there it's the improvisation isn't it because he's got absolutely no right to to do that in a premier league game well that brings me on to it again for you to guess what the xg was what i'll say is that you would be surprised what the xg value is for this i think based on what you said for the previous one yeah i'm guessing that actually from what I've said before, I think that this one's probably the highest XG because of maybe the position and where the ball comes from. My original guess would have been that this was about 15%, I think, probably. That's pretty good. Is it? So the XG value was 0.12, so 12% oh, nice. chance of scoring from that. So that's pretty accurate, to be fair. Does XG take into account, though, the manner in which it's scored? So... You know, the fact he's done a scorpion kick, is there any kind of uh, tangible thing for I that? To my knowledge, Ryan, and don't quote me on this, I don't think scorpion kick is in the terms that they use. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. But you're right. In in terms of like the things that you said, so the, yeah, the angle that it's come from in, in that it was a cross... I mean, technically it's on his dominant foot, so maybe yeah. those sorts of things are sort of factored into it, but... Yeah, 0.12, so a 12% chance of scoring from that one, which is pretty generous, as you say, considering that is one of the most outrageous Outrageous goals you're ever going to see. In the Premier League. It's on his dominant foot, but it's on his dominant back heel, you know, facing the wrong way. So, (laughs) yeah, do you know what? I'm not even a big fan of Giroud too much, to be honest, as a striker, Uh, but it's it's an outrageous attempt. Uh, We've got to, just before we move on as well, give an honourable mention to uh, Robin Van Persie in this uh, situation, because the the most outrageous finish I've seen in a long time, I think, certainly at the time it was up there, was that one where Rooney's put it in from from the you know right midfield position. It's coming over Van Persie's right shoulder and he's just leathered it with his left foot on the volley first time. Like the ball that's come in that far and at that speed and that height. It was against, was it Villa, I think? It was against Villa, yeah. yeah. He, I think they won the league on that game yeah outrageous from that game and he won them the, the league that season anyway yeah, he was just ridiculous that season but the way he's watched it come down over his right hand shoulder and then he's just timed his finish on that left foot and it's flown straight into the far post and oh my word it was something else 
it's interesting that from the from the list that you gave me, the long old list of amazing goals that you gave me, um, a lot of them were before 2015, of which that Van Persie won as well, and include the Rooney overhead kick against Man City in that as well. But I couldn't actually dig out the the XG straight away from those ones. If anyone, if any listeners can can get it, then then please send it in. But um, yeah, it just shows how recent XG and the XG model it has actually been probably most popular in the past four five years um so yeah there was plenty more that we could have spoke about but we couldn't have actually accommodated on in terms of xg fantastic stuff and if we've learned anything uh, just there it's don't be generous when talking about your xg because the chances are it's a lot less than you think like you just said they sort of introduced it to match of the day people like when ian wright and alan shearer who this sort of uh, model and way of thinking probably wasn't around in the peak of the 90s etc it must be so weird to like think that they have to then adapt and use this as their way of basing analysis yeah but it's funny because they've probably been using these terms before it even came out a little bit like the sort of thing where so expected goals is good to know whether a player is getting into the right positions so if you've got a player say harry kane is getting into good positions consistently then he's likely to have a high expected goals value yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And it's and so when, when a player like Harry Kane isn't scoring, but he's getting into the right positions a lot, his his expected goals will still be quite high because he's getting in the right positions, but he just might be having a, a bit of a dry period, a barren run where he's just not sticking them away. But the phrases that you hear from like Shearer and stuff would be like, he's getting in the right positions, so he'll be fine. You start to worry if he's not getting in the right positions there. That's when you need to start worrying for them. So those sorts of things is kind of explaining expected goals because you're saying like he's he's actually getting high value chances and at the moment he's he's not scoring but given that he's getting in those positions like you you would think that over time eventually he'll actually start to score again so they've been saying it for years in obviously in football terms in different terms without realizing that essentially they're just talking about their expected their likelihood of scoring expected goals it's sort of that it's that age-old theory of like gamble on it isn't it or you know, I knew that I was going to get one. If you know what I mean, if you if you keep getting in that position, the chance will come, or something like that, is a way of saying, I guess, isn't it? Like expected goals, because if you keep doing something, the chances are better. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And again, the, the phrases that they use or have used for years, like you know, nine times out of ten, you'd expect him to score there. That's that's basically yeah. uh, someone's interpretation of expected goals, and probably in reality, it's you know. 3.4 times you'd expect to, out of 10 you'd expect him to score from there if we're going to be like pedantic about it but it's that sort of thing you know you'd, you'd put your house on him to score there by the way whoever does that who's going to put that <laughs> who's going to put their house on someone to score but that's quite a common one as well isn't it you'd put your house on him to score there but if you knew yeah. that that the, the likelihood of him scoring there was actually 0.3 because of all the factors that we, we talk about yeah. you'd be like I don't know, you'd probably at least have a chat to your family before you put your <laughs> put your house on it. I'd, I'd think about wagering the garage, but maybe not my full house. <laughs> maybe the wheelbarrow, yeah. <laughs> um, so is there anything that it sort of doesn't factor in? Obviously, you know, there's so many variables you said that it takes into account. Like, is there anything that it doesn't account for? Yeah, and this is the thing. With, with everything in sort of analytics, um, and from my background, obviously, in academia, you always have to acknowledge that there are limitations to it, and that's going to always be the case. It's not perfect. If it could predict everything, then there's no point in in playing the game. So, yeah, there's limitations, um, and there's still, again, variations of it, but it's just, at the moment, it's a tool to be able to, 
to try and predict the likelihood of scoring. But I think the main one it doesn't account for is the fact that there's there's opposing players in the way. So as you say, you're imagining it as though it's just a player plonks on a pitch in a certain position, what's their chance of scoring? But unless we add in more variables, tracking data, which we can come on to in future pods, but um, it doesn't maybe factor in the fact that someone who's about to take the shot from, let's say, centre of the goal actually has two players charging them down. And then actually then your likelihood of scoring is going to be lower than if they weren't there. So when you're looking at expected goals, would it not just be uh, more useful just to go, well, which team had more shots? Which team had more chances? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, the difference between shots and chances are kind of two di- two different things. So it's the it's the quality of the chance that is the main thing. So you could have someone who takes, you could have a team or a player who takes 10 shots and you could have a team on the opposing side who are taking two shots. But the two shots that the other team have actually generated those those chances they've created have a 70 percent likelihood of scoring so they're pretty likely to score those two goals but then the team who's got 10 shots nine of those might be from 40 yards so the actual quality of those chances that xg is actually going to be lower from the 10 shots than the the two high xg shots so the expected goals there is higher in favor of the the team who's actually only had two shots so it's the quality of the shots or the quality of the chance that is really predictive of the likelihood of scoring versus, you know, you can take 100 shots from the halfway line. It doesn't mean that you've actually got real big chance of scoring. You've literally summed up, whenever I play FIFA and I lose like 3-1 and I've had 12 shots and they've had four and I'm like, yeah, but I've had 12 shots. Like I was all over you. Kind of doesn't matter, does it? If FIFA did expect to goals, they'd be going... Ryan, you were awful that game. It's the same with possession. You know, like you could have 90% of the possession, but you can create no chances. So, you know, possession isn't the best way of of suggesting the likelihood of of a team winning. Like look at Leicester when they won the league. Like they they had less than 50% possession almost every game, but then they generated high quality chances and they go and win the game. So, yeah, it's just a really good way of looking at the, the quality um, of the the chances that the teams can score. The other thing I say as well is that as a Liverpool fan, watching Mo Salah, because I do watch every Liverpool game and I feel like sometimes people just see his highlights and say that he's a one goal in two chances sort of player. And I get frustrated because I think that he he isn't a one in two. I think he, he, I think he misses quite a few high quality chances. But then I actually went and looked only a couple of days ago at his expected goals and I think across across certainly across every season that he's been at Liverpool he's been outscoring his expected goals so it's yeah it's one of those where it's a really good because it's probably you know the pace that he's going the way that the ball's been fired at him it's not as probably as a higher quality chance as I probably thought it was and that's probably also factored in because the fact that I'm emotional watching my own team. That I'm like, ah, oh, that's you know, I could be the most like rational he should person be doing in the more. world. Yeah, he's got to yeah. score from there. But then I looked, at, dug into his his xG, and yeah, he is scoring and outscoring his expected goals. So yeah, it, it's a good model to actually show that. <laughs> yeah, Mo Salah is really good. Just this, just in. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of a divide really in your classic no nonsense approach to looking at football where you hear phrases like goals win games and it's men versus boys. And then you've got your podcasts and articles that look really in-depth 
sort of uh, analysis and are hard to understand. I guess there's a middle ground way of thinking and looking at how football analysis can be used and simplified, which is what we're trying to do, I guess. Yeah, I think that sometimes people think that the the sort of the stats and the analytic side of football are at odds with the, the sort of, again, the football purists who don't want any of that. And the whole point is that the two are designed to work together, basically. And as you say, a middle ground and that analytics is yeah is supposed to help those people and help to elevate them in making their decisions or help them with their yeah their tactics in a football club ahead of the the weekend fixtures so it's not that one's supposed to be better or worse than the other it's that they're supposed to kind of work together um and what we want to do is just talk about it from yeah from a fan's perspective just talk football language and not try and kind of blind people with any maths or data or statistics or anything like that so we've done our best with expected goals and essentially with this podcast going forward we're going to explore the world of football analysis and bumble our way through various theories and topics from analytics to formations tactics to commentary cliches we're going to cover it all and if there's anything at home you would like us to unpick if you have any questions or messages for us about anything football please email us at fanalytics.pod at gmail.com or tweet us on at fanalyticspod thank you for listening Mark, what are we going to look at next week? Yeah, I did some um, analysis um, looking at midfield playing styles across the top European leagues and how you can use uh, data analytics to um, help football clubs uh, in their recruitment in the transfer market. So, yeah, next week we'll be looking at that. It's all about the midfield next week. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This has been our first podcast and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time. Thank you and goodbye. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.